Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Well, let's get into the message, all right? We're going to talk about building the church of God. So if you've if you got your Bibles, we love the Bible. We love the Word of God here at the Rhodes Church, so we get a little pumped up about it. If you got them, let's open to Matthew chapter 16. Woo! Matthew 16. Sermon notes are available on the YouVersion Bible app if you'd like to follow along there. Note takers are world changers. Jesus was talking about building his church. So I want to pray over the word before we jump into it. Lord Jesus, I just yield the floor to you. Be glorified. Have your way. Take me wherever you want to go. Say whatever you want to say. Lead my thoughts, Lord. I pray that you speak to me and through me that revelation will come to us all. Holy Spirit, we ask for things to be revealed to our hearts that we could not know without you. I pray for a living word, Lord. Not just a sermon, not just a message, but Lord, I pray there will be rhema in our hearts that you will bring it alive to us, God. Make it clear so that you receive praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start reading in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why are you blessed? Because my Father has revealed something to you that flesh and blood could not. We're talking about building the church, and what I want to get into today is something that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about, on how are we building the church, how are we growing the church, is it according to his perspective or is it according to ours, and what are the differences, what are we building it on, what are the methods, what are the strategies, and he says here, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because the Heavenly Father revealed something to you that flesh and blood could not. I want to submit to you that Christians, this is important to us, that the things that God can reveal to us that flesh and blood cannot, that is an essential skill that followers of Jesus need to have in their life. We need to be able to have the ability to receive things directly from the Father that people around us don't know. We're going to need that in the end times because there are going to be things that are going to be happening in flesh and blood realm that the Heavenly Father wants to show us something different. There's going to be things that are not happening in flesh and blood realm that the Heavenly Father wants to reveal to us are happening in the spirit realm. And if I'm limited to only flesh and blood, news, social media, if I'm only uh, limited to that source of information, I'm going to ride the wave of what's happening in culture and society instead of getting a download from heaven. Whoa, I didn't know that was going on, but you have peace that passes all understanding and it will guard your hearts and your minds. Why? Because you're hearing from God and not from man. So he said, uh, my father revealed this to you. Remember, what does the word reveal mean? The word reveal means to take the cover off to unveil something, to reveal, disclose something, to make known information that was previously hidden or unknown. I like that part. To make known information that was previously unknown. So there's something that I didn't know 
It was hidden from me, but God says, boop, there it is. You're like, what? I didn't know that. He said, I know. That's why I revealed it to you. Has anybody ever had that happen to you, that all of a sudden God showed you something that you didn't know, and all of a sudden it changed your perspective? It may have changed your attitude. It may have changed your behavior. It may have changed your outlook on life. You're like, that's, whoa, okay, I feel better already. That's what he's wanting to do. He wants to give us that kind of information. So here's the issue, though. The enemy wants us to focus on and be limited to the things that are seen or known, and the Lord wants us to be focused on the things that are unseen or unknown. It matters. The enemy's goal is to get us fixated on what's seen or known, while God wants us to set our affections and our attention on things that are unseen and unknown. How do we do that? Hold your finger right here. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll come back to this because we're going to read verse 18. (coughs) Oh, did I turn that off? Sorry, this is what you get. You you deserve better. You really do. You deserve better. 2 Corinthians chapter (laughs) 4. I really thought I'd turn that off. It's my bad. You didn't notice until I made an open show of it. That's good. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 16. Therefore... Therefore means you need to know contextually what is happening before. Paul's talking about uh, how they were hard-pressed on every side. They're crushed. They're perplexed, but not in despair. They're persecuted. All this stuff going on. We're struck down. Bam, 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 all this stuff. But we believe, and therefore we speak. And so we got all these things going for us. We got things that are against us, and we've got things that that are for us. Therefore, because of that, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Look at your neighbor and say, do not lose heart. Look at your other neighbor that was your second choice and tell them, do not lose heart. (laughs) What does it mean to lose heart? Here's what it means in the Greek language. It means to lose one's motivation to accomplish some valid goal, to become discouraged, or to give up. Has anybody ever felt like they were discouraged and wanted to give up? We all have. We all have. But Paul says, do not lose heart. So if he tells us to, to do not lose heart, does that mean there's a possibility that we could lose heart? Yes. He says, therefore, do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What do we get out of that? There's two different parts to us. Right? They call it man, but don't let that be a gender thing. That's not a male or female issue. It's talking about a part. We have an outward part and an inward part. You sitting there today listening to me, you are a triune being. What does that mean? There are three parts to you. You are a spirit that is eternal. Not eternal if you love Jesus. Your spirit is eternal, period. It will spend eternity somewhere, either with God or away from God but it will spend eternity somewhere. The spirit part of us is eternal. It is God-breathed. It cannot die. Then we have a soul. 
which is our mind, will, and emotions. Then we live in a body. So we have an outward and we have an inward. And notice what he says. Our outward man, he's talking about the physical part of him, is perishing. It's getting older. It's getting frail. But our inward man is being renewed, renovated, made new, made fresh day by day. Notice the conflict. Outward body, outward man, decaying, perishing. But inward man can still be fresh and flourishing. Well, you don't understand. I'm a certain age. It does not matter. Inward man has no age because it's eternal. Outward man, perishing. Inward man, renewed day by day. So now we've got to decide which one is going to call the shots, the outward man or the inward man. Both of them are vying or jockeying for lordship. The outward man or the inward man. Look what it says in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, that means it's temporary, momentarily, is working for us. Underline those three words. Working for us. Working for us. So we've got light affliction in the temporary. What is that light affliction doing? What is that light affliction doing? I was talking to the back. I'm just kidding. What, so again, I just want to make sure we get it. What is affliction? If we know what affliction is, pressure, persecution, trouble, tribulation, all those words fit. What are those things doing? They are working for us. What does that mean? Think of an employer. An employer who has an employee, the employee works for the employer, right? So if an employer has an employee and the employee is working for the employer, who gets the final say-so in how things are done, the employer or the employee? Employer. So which one is working for who? Is the employer working for the employee or is the employee working for the employer? Employees working for the employer, right? So if our light affliction is working for us, which one is the employer and the employee? Is the light affliction the one calling the shots or is the light affliction the employee? The employee. So now if I look at it through that mindset, then whatever pressure or things come against me, I cannot control what comes against me, but I can control how I respond to it. If you've ever been an employer, you can't always control your employees. Maybe you've never had employees. You can't always control what they do or what they don't do. But as the employer, you can absolutely control what you do. So light affliction coming against us, I don't always know what's coming against me, but if it's working for me, I put it to work for me instead of letting it work against me. Just something to think about. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, but the only way that can happen is if we look at verse 18. 
while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Does that mean they last forever? The things are seen, are they temporary or eternal? Temporary. Things that are not seen, that we can't see, are they temporary or are they eternal? Which one are we supposed to look at? Eternal. So it's not just, it's not just we don't look at the temporal. Here's the important part. Do not look at the things that are seen, but look at the things which are unseen. So it's not just I don't look at the things I see. I have to look at something else. Here's the, here's the practical part. If I just try to not look at what is seen, then I'm just ignoring it. But if I look at something else that's greater, then now I'm not ignoring you. I found something more important than you, and I'm focusing all my attention on that, and I'm getting fed by what I don't see, even though what I do see is trying to discourage me. Is that making sense? So it's not like, well, I just don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. That doesn't change it, and it doesn't change me. What changes me is when I don't look at it, I say, there you are, you little sugar booger, there you are, but I'm going to look at this, and I'm going to focus on what I can't see, and I'm going to believe God with all of my heart. That changes my perspective. Not looking at that doesn't change me. It's when I see in the Spirit, when I see something else. God's asking us to be able to see something else, and that's the revelation knowledge. Now let's go back to uh, verse 18 in Matthew 16. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, what is this rock? This revelation knowledge of Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will build my what? I will build my church. Who is the church? People. People. It's a Greek word, ekklesia, which means a legislative assembly or governing group of people called out to change the culture of a region to match the culture of the one who empowers them. Remember the church... Originally, in Jesus' time, when he used this word, ecclesia, it was not a Jewish word. It was not a word for synagogue. It was a completely secular word. And he used it intentionally. So he could let the people of that area understand, this is what I've called people to do. To not go into a room and hide out. That's not the job of the ecclesia. The ecclesia is to mingle, mingle, and bring the culture of the one who empowers them and change the culture wherever they go. Remember, that's what we talked about. So now, the problem is, too many times we forgot that our job was to change the culture instead of becoming like the culture. But he says a church like this, a people group like this, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. So I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. So I begin to ask the Lord, how, how are you wanting to build your church and are we building the church like that? That's what I begin to ask him. So here's where he took me. If you want to, uh, we went to Matthew 28 last week. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. He said, let's make disciples in, in Matthew 28. bottle 
or a fire hose or something. <laughs> just something to drink. Sorry. Just go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. A little parched. I started to chug the whole thing, but I thought somebody else might be thirsty. Romans chapter 8, here's the thing, here's the thing that the Lord wanted to loan me to start with a question. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, the important part is, do we know the target? Do we know the goal? Do we know what he wants us to be? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is the goal of a Christian? What is the target of a Christian? Why are we in it? I'm just trying to find different ways to say it. You know what I'm saying? Is the goal, it's a rhetorical question, so please don't answer is the target, is the goal, heaven? I said don't answer. <laughs> Couldn't help yourself, could you? Some students listen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Is the goal, is the target, heaven? I believe the problem is and I'm going to submit to you today that the, the goal, the target, is not heaven. Not that I don't want to go to heaven. Not that it isn't great to go to heaven. All that is wonderful. Only reason heaven is great is because he is there. So being with him is the ultimate goal. Wherever he is. So if the goal, is target, is heaven, and that's what we preached in the church then what do we do after we get saved? My problem with that type of teaching is that we brought people into church and said, hey, it's about getting to heaven. So the question becomes, that's the goal, that's the target. What do I need to do to get to heaven? Well, you need to pray this prayer. Okay, I'll pray that prayer. Boom, I prayed that prayer. Now you're going. Check. Great. I'm eight years old. Now what? Wait. That's it. Well, you got baptized. Great, you got baptized. Now, now you're good. Nope, that's it. If it was only going to heaven, what else is there? And I'm telling you, I believe, why are we Christians? What is the target? Because then people just come to church. They think, I'm going to heaven, so I'm good. And they don't do anything else beyond that. What if that's not the target? And I believe it's my responsibility... Anyone who stands in a pulpit to communicate the word of God correctly to people so that we know what we're shooting at. If I'm shooting at the wrong target, it doesn't matter if I'm hitting bullseyes all day long. If it's the wrong target, it doesn't matter. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things, famous verse alert, and we know that all things work together for good. Some people think that's all that the verse says. This verse has been misquoted so many times. People will throw this out all the time. They'll say, all things work together for good. 
Let's read the whole verse. All things don't work together for good for everybody. It says all things work together for good for those, to those who love God. Well, I love God. Do we? Do I love God? Let's use the biblical definition for loving God, not my preferential definition. My preferential definition is I feel like I love him, so therefore I love him. The biblical definition is that God said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's love to God. You keep my commandments, that tells me you love me. You don't keep my commandments, then you're a liar and the truth's not in you. That's harsh, but that's the Bible. So he says, all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Everybody say predestined. What does that word mean? That word means he decided beforehand. He made up his mind ahead of time, before we were born, before we were here, before creation, for whom he foreknew, the ones he knew ahead of time, he also made a decision ahead of time, predestined, to be conformed. Again, predestined does not control my decisions. Predestined controls his decisions. I need to teach that for just a moment. Some people believe predestination takes away your decision-making ability. Predestination only clarifies his decision for you. Predestination does not take away my decision-making abilities. Predestination does not do away with free will. Predestination only communicates his decisions that he's already made ahead of time. So he predestined us to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. So who did he predestine us to be conformed? That word conform means similar in form and nature, jointly formed through union. Similar in form and nature. So God predestined you and I to be similar in form and nature to who? His son, who is Jesus. Jesus, right here. So he predestined us to be formed, to be in union, to be shaped towards the nature of Jesus. It does not say, whom he foreknew, he predestined to go to heaven. To those he foreknew, he predestined to become like someone. Who's that someone? So what are we supposed to do? If we're going to be followers of Christ, we're going to be Christians, we're going to be believers, we're going to be, just trying to get all the names in, we're going to be born again, what are we supposed to be doing while we're here? Going to church? Punching a ticket to heaven? I'm just addressing some stuff. What are we supposed to be doing? If we're Christians, what are we supposed to be doing while we're here? We're supposed to be conformed into the image of of his son, of Jesus. So you and I, plain language, we're supposed to be growing and becoming like, like Jesus. Not like John. Not like Sue. Not like the worst person we know. We're supposed to be like. Do we have work to do? Yes. But he says we're supposed to be conforming towards a target. Who is the target? Jesus. Jesus. 
The target is not people. The target is not being better than so-and-so. My target is Jesus. And if my target is Jesus, then I'm going to keep molding myself to be like him. That while we're here, my goal is not to pray a prayer and get there someday. My goal is to pray and let him come in me so that I can become like him. But we sold the church short. We didn't, we didn't put a requirement out there that we're supposed to be like Jesus. We adopted this kind of spiritual language. Well, nobody's perfect. Duh. Nobody's perfect, but that shouldn't be the words that we live by. The words we should live by is, I need to be conformed into the image of Jesus. I need to be more like Jesus. I need to be more like, well, I know I'm not as good as I should be, but okay, then change it. Well, I, I know I'm not, hey, I'm not as bad as, I'm going to hit all the religious colloquialisms today. I, I, hey, I'm not as bad as some people, you know. I'm, why is not as bad as has become our spiritual motivation? Our spiritual motivation should be the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when we look at him, I always see room for me to grow. When I look at others, I go, hey, I'm pretty good. I look at others and go, yeah, I'm, I think things are pretty good right now. When I look at Jesus, I go, oh, I am a filthy sinner, Lord. Lord, don't look at me as Peter said. Lord, don't even come into my boat. I'm a sinner, God. I don't deserve you. When you look at Jesus, your perspective changes. This is what Christianity is about, looking at him, constantly looking at him. You say, well, I'm going to get discouraged. Why do you? Not when we ask him to help us become more like him. Guilt and condemnation will never help us grow. Will never help us grow. We can beat ourselves up all the live long day, but it won't help us. But here's what I felt like the Lord wanted us to communicate. He said, listen, I've got to, you've got to tell people that their goal, their target, is not to come to church and say, hey, I prayed a prayer once, I got in water once, and so I'm going to heaven, so I'm good. No, 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 multiplied times, no, no, no. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Well, I can't be like Jesus. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So either God's right or I'm right. I choose God. Does that mean I'm like Jesus? No. But it means I've got a goal that that's what I'm that I need to be more like Jesus to my wife. I need to be more like Jesus to my children. I need to be more like Jesus to my friends. I need to be more like Jesus to my church family. I need to be more like Jesus. I, I, that's the goal. How I'm handling a situation. I need to be more like Jesus. It's more than just wearing a bracelet of WWJD. That's wonderful if I'll actually look at it and actually apply it. But if it's just a cool bracelet I wear, then it means nothing. But he says, I predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that we can be more like him and less like the world. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be conformed to the image of Jesus. How do we do that? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. Now they've got you encouraged over that. We're going to hit ourselves right between the eyes with this word. Who are we supposed to be like? Jesus. 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 If we're going to be Christians while we're on the earth, we're supposed to be conforming ourselves to the image of Jesus. And let me, let me say it this way. We can't be like Jesus if we don't read about Jesus. If I don't think my target is to be like Jesus, I will let that Bible lay there and I will go on about my day because I'm going to heaven. 
But if I know that my whole purpose on this earth is to be more like Jesus, then I better be reading about Jesus so that I can learn how to be like him. I can handle things his way. I can die to my flesh and I can live for him. I can say, okay, Lord, this is how you did it. This is how you handled that. This is how you walked in that situation. Ooh, man, that's hard. Lord Jesus, how did you do that? They punched you in the face and now you're saying turn the other cheek? My Lord, I want to punch him back. what Jesus did. When they accused him and said all kinds of manner, of manner of things against him falsely, he held his tongue. Whoa, that's a novel idea. That's what Jesus did. What Jesus did. So how do we do this? We got to grow up. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to grow up. You're welcome. You've been wanting to say that all day. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5. I'm just kidding. Easy, easy. Back, back focus. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Verse 12. It says, for though by, though by this time you ought to be teachers, he's writing to these believers, these followers of Jesus, and they were not growing to be conformed in the image of Jesus. They thought all they needed to do was pray a prayer. I'm adding this part. They didn't grow. They thought coming to church was enough. Because he says, for though by this time you ought to be teaching someone else, you're still wanting somebody to spoon feed you. You're not reading your Bible for yourself and teaching others at work. You're still only coming and hearing sermons every week and expecting someone else to feed you. I'm not sure what version that is, but that's my translation. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be pouring into someone else, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles or the scriptures, the sayings of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. A bottle for Callahan is wonderful and it's fitting. You see me walking around with a bottle. Sucking on that thing. It's not so cool. It's fitting for Callahan. He needs that bottle. He can't cut up a nice steak. He, he can't do that. He needs his mom and dad to give him that. But if you see me going around with a pappy in my mouth, Don holding me and giving me a bottle, that'd be a nice picture. <laughs> She's like, She's not holding me up, I'll tell you that. <laughs> hey, let's try that when we get home. But anyway. <laughs> I'm just going to jump up and you catch me. We'll videotape it for you. Stay focused on the Bible. So anyway, milk has its place, has its purpose. But if you've been saved for 20 years, the bottle's got to go. It's time for you to be eating meat and teaching others. You should be cutting this up for yourself. You don't need somebody to cut it up for you and go, here's what it means. Here to come. 
But what happens in church too many times is we're asking for pastors to cut up and little bitty pieces. Now, some people are new believers. That's great. We got a bottle right there, so many rows back. That's great for them. But over here, maybe that doesn't look good for you. Lewis having a bottle is not a picture I want to see. <laughs> Verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Whew. Man, is this the Bible? But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Man, there's a lot of meat right here. Let me, let me break it down for you. One who only partakes of milk is unskilled. Everybody say unskilled. Here's what that means. Lacking practical experience or training. He who drinks only milk, unskilled, means they're lacking of practical experience or training. So that means there is a training, practical uh, practice or training to the word of righteousness. It's not just coming to church and hearing a sermon, but it's a practical use on our part collectively outside of here where we take what we hear, take what we study, and we apply it practically to our life, and we're actually training to be able to use it. There's a training ground to use the word better. Now again, some people theologically will not teach this. They will say God is ultimately sovereign and he does whatever he wants when he wants and it doesn't matter for you. This is not one of those churches. I'm not banging on that. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that's not what we will teach. We believe that the Bible is something that has to be learned, a skill applied, so that we can utilize and grow and become mature of full age and be more effective the more we learn about the kingdom of heaven. I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about being skilled. If you can be unskilled in the word of righteousness, that means you can also be skilled in the word of righteousness. Is there a difference between skilled and unskilled? Absolutely. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is those who by reason of, let's say it all together. Those by reason of, uh, sorry, verse 14. I was pointing the screen. It's not there. Verse 14. There's those who by reason of use have their senses trained, exercised. Are you training or exercising your senses to use the word of God? Are you training your soul with the word of God? How many of you have, uh, I don't want to say that. No, I don't want to say that. Don't, don't go me, Ted. <laughs> let, me, let me try it a different way. Let me run around the track one more time. Exercise requires effort. Yes or no? Having your senses exercised to use the word of God, the word of righteousness, to be skillful at it is going to take effort. We do not get better at using the word without practice and exercise. What does that mean? I have to put it to use and I have to train my senses 
to discern what's good and what's evil. What does that mean? I use the Word of God to train me what is of God and what is not of God. I don't come out of the womb, nor do I come out of a born-again experience knowing fully everything that's good and evil. I have to be trained to discern by Holy Spirit. This is why there were some things in my life at some point I didn't see anything wrong with, and now I'm like, absolutely not. Why? I've been skill- I've trained in my skill. I- I've grown in my skill in some areas, but I still need to grow. Let me give you an example. I don't have a lot of time. I want to dig deep into that. I believe this, what Jesus is telling us, that the body of Christ is a generalization statement. The body of Christ did not know that they were supposed to grow in their skill in the things of God. They thought it would just come naturally. Or they were taught that it doesn't matter. God's going to do what he wants to do or not. So you don't have any control. I believe we need to be trained to be better Christians. Not earning salvation. Do not hear that. I'm talking about to be better at using the word of God to become more like him. He trained his disciples for three and a half years to be like him. So that is still our goal today, to be like him. You're not trying to be like Chad. You're not trying to be like anybody else. I'm trying to get better at being like him. That's the goal. And I get, I get reminded of this regularly that I'm not skillful enough. I'm reminded regularly that I still need to get better. I still need to grow I'm reminded when I handle certain situations and I'm like, oh, that wasn't good. I'm reminded when my thoughts are like this, I'm like, oh, that's not Jesus. I'm not conforming to the image of Jesus with that. I'm conforming to the image of my flesh. Lord, I need to grow. I'm reminded of that, that if I don't get better, then I'm leaving something on the table. So the Lord wanted me to pass along. I I didn't really want to go there this morning. I didn't want to talk about it, but I felt like the Lord was asking me to be vulnerable. And it usually doesn't work out for me very well, but... This is two weeks in a row that I've done it, so I'm trusting the Lord. But I was reminded last week when, when I felt the Lord told me to pick up this eight-year-old boy and pray for him at my friend's house. And I, I did, and I picked him up and I prayed for him. And then I went to his funeral just a few days ago. And I realized in that moment... And the time afterwards, like, Lord, this is my perspective. You can have your perspective. This is totally my my viewpoint on it, is that that if if the parents would have given their child and put them in the arms of Jesus and said, Jesus, would you help my child? I have no doubt in my mind, according to Scripture, that Jesus would have said absolutely, and that child would have been healed. So I've got a couple ways I can deal with that situation. I can either deconstruct my theology and and make up all kinds of things, or I can say, I've still got work to do to be more like him. I've still got to keep pressing in to be more skillful that, Lord, there's things I still don't know that I want to know. And maybe that's not a desire of yours. That's okay. But, but I, I, I hunger for that. I, I desire for that because I, I don't want to be unskillful in the word of righteousness. When someone's needing a touch from heaven, I want him to flow through me so that they can see Jesus, not me. I want them to ro- rejoice in Jesus, not me. Yes. The disciples went to cast out a demon from a young child. And they did everything they knew to do. And, and the demon didn't come out. 
And the, and the parent brought the child to Jesus and said, would you, would you cast out this demon? My, I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't do it. I brought him to the people that you're training to be like you. And they couldn't do it, so would you please? And Jesus rebuked the demon, and the child began to convulse on the ground. And Jesus said, well, hey, well, how, how long has this been happening? And the parents said, since they, were, since they were a child and often tries to throw them in the fire to destroy them. But if, if you're able, if you're willing, please, will you do something and heal my child? And Jesus said, come out of him. And the child was healed that very moment. The disciples later come pull Jesus. This is something people theologically don't want to talk about. But I run to these scriptures. I run to these scriptures because I want to be skilled. I want to, I, I've never, it's never ever been my personality. Somebody tell me, oh, it's okay, Chad. It's okay, Chad. That's, that's all right. That's not for you. It's never been. Tell me the hard thing. Tell me, tell me flat out I'm not very good. Tell me flat out that I'm pulling to the left when I swing through the ball. Or pull me, say I'm tucking my elbow too long. Or tell me, tell me straight. I don't, I don't want to hear, well, you know, everybody's going strong. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, tell me. Shoot me straight. And when Jesus said, you will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, I want to know why they're not recovering. A lot of people don't want to know, and that's okay. I'm not criticizing. But I just know that Jesus went back and he told the disciples, they said, Lord, why, why could we not cast out the demon? I read in my Bible that Jesus did not say, he did not say, because you're not me. He did not say, because it wasn't my will. He did not say anything else other than because of your unbelief. So I'm not looking for blame for this last circumstance or the dozens of others I could refer to in my own life. Because blame and condemnation, again, doesn't make us better. But what happened is last night, as my son had a fever, and so I went to pray for him, and all of a sudden... The megaphone started yelling in my ear, why are you wasting your time? Oh, you think you're going to do something about it? You better just, you better, st don't even try. Don't even waste your time praying. God's not going to use you. Obviously, if God flowed through you, he would have done something before. The same thing that happened to any other circumstance, you're not going to do anything to change your boy's situation because of all this talking in my ear. I don't know if you've ever had that. And I don't know whether me opening up and telling you about this helps you or not. But I just want you to know, I hear voices in my head telling me, Chad, you're not good enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not strong enough. You're not able. You're not like Jesus. If Jesus was here, would do something, but you're not like Jesus. I know I'm not like Jesus, but I want to be like Jesus. So I prayed anyway. I prayed anyway. And I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying. I told the Lord after I left the funeral, and I love the family, such beautiful people. And I said, Lord, I will never stop praying. Keep giving me children to pray for. Keep giving me adults to pray for, and I will pray for them because I want to be like you. Because my Bible says that Jesus healed them all. Well, Chad, you trying to be like Jesus? My Bible says that I'm predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. I'm not trying to be like anything on my own. I can't be anything without him, but that's my target. That's my goal. I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm trying to be like him. I'm not trying to 
to defend myself. I'm trying to be like him. Here's the goal. Be like Jesus. And we've watered it down where Christianity is just about coming to church and punching a ticket to heaven. Friends, I think it's more. I think it's more. I don't know what it looks like. If you would just bow your heads for me for a second. Forgive me. Unskilled. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. I just, I just hear that. I hear God saying that we need to be more skilled. I feel like God is saying that we... Are we even shooting at the right target? Are we... Do we did we even know we were supposed to be like Jesus? Or did just enough people tell you that nobody's perfect that that became your goal? Did anyone ever have the guts and love you enough to communicate that if you're going to be a Christian, your sole target is to be like Jesus? To be conformed to the image of his son? To not just be a good old boy or a good old girl? Or not, I'm a pretty good person, pretty good person. What does that mean, pretty good person? According to who's measuring? I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm. There's one target, friends. One target. It's like Jesus. I I don't really get convicted about that. I don't think, I don't see any big deal about that. What would Jesus do? How many things we would do, would we do them in the presence of Jesus? I need to alert us, he's with us all the time. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.